every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. Matthew 12.25 Division, deception, misinformation, mistrust. In a nation where so many in the faith are wondering how we got here, and many question if there's any way to reconcile, we bring you a space designed to ensure that truth reclaims the fringes, open, honest, and real. No filter. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is out of bounds. This is Two Americas, One God. Patrick Miller, welcome to the conversation. After, oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. You know, it was just uh, every single spiritual principality tried to keep us from having this conversation, apparently, but it's all That's right. right. That's right. That's okay. It's okay. You have great plans, and technology always goes in opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's supposed to make life easier, from yeah. what I heard. But yeah. So far, you <laughs> never know. So too. Yeah. Uh, of course, yeah. this wouldn't be possible at all without it. So. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So. <laughs> and 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 of course the mighty power of God. Yes. Yes. yes indeed. Uh, yes. But, the uh, ultimate tech support. <laughs> the Lord. Yes. <laughs> you know, somebody's really going to Pentecostally take that and run with Probably. it in some way that we uh-huh. don't need. So. Yep. So we're just going to overlook that. Uh, brother, thank you again for coming on and having the conversation. You've done an amazing thing in our uh, two Americas, one Godish eyes. And so uh, why don't we go ahead and just go ahead and get started because I think everybody has two times and stuff. I'm yeah, just kidding. I don't have that today. No, I'm just joking, Sheesh. man. I'm just joking, brother. <laughs> cool. But yeah, Patrick, uh, who you be, what you do, man. Uh, I know uh, from pastor to pastor, I'm excited to have this conversation, but then there's that other thing. So why don't you go ahead and explain it? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I, like you said, I, I am a pastor in flyover country, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, my co-host of, of a podcast called Truth Over Tribe, I feel like is really similar to what you guys are doing on your podcast. So I love what you're doing. I love that you guys have an audience that's engaged thinking about these exact same topics. And we recently wrote a book. We're not very creative, so we called it the same thing, Truth Over Tribe. <laughs> and it's branding. The subtitle of the book. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good branding, right? And no, it summarizes the, the, the whole vision of the book, which is pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. And the heart of the book is how can we choose people over politics without just totally throwing politics to the side? You know, I think politics are part of how we love our neighbors. And as much as someone might like to live in a world where uh, politics don't matter, um, I, I think that actually Jesus has a politic. He has a way of being in the world, a way of organizing communities. And so we wanted to explore that in book form. We explore it on the podcast. And again, I, I think we're really similar to you guys and what you're doing uh, here. Excellent. Excellent, my friend. Uh, well, then, yeah, let's uh, we like I said, for the sake of time, I guess we need to go ahead and start having a conversation. So uh, this is the first one. And I hope you'll remember this part of your book. There's a lot of information. <laughs> um, I wanted yeah. you to first start talking about uh, our good friends, the Eagles and the Rattlers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love this story. I can tell the story so many times. This is back in, in the in the 1950s. I believe the researcher's name was Mustafa Sharif. And he takes all of these fifth grade uh, white boys. They're all the same. They're all Lutherans. They've got all the same backgrounds. And he takes them off to this camp and he divides them into two groups and they name themselves the Eagles and the Rattlers. And for the first week, they're just off on their own. They don't even know that the other group exists, but then they bring the two groups together. And naturally being young boys, they decide they want to start competing. But these competitions really begin to spiral out of control because I mean, it's like Lord of the Fly stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. These kids, they are coming at each other. Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories is is one group uh they 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 got upset at the other group so they stole the other group's uh leader's pants 
painted them their team's color and hung it up on a flagpole. And, and it gets so bad that they start creating false grievances against each other. One group gets into the pool one day and it's really cold. And they go, oh my gosh, the Rattlers must have come over here, poured ice in our pool to make it cold. And then the exact yeah. opposite happens. The Eagles are walking around their campsite and they find trash and they say, oh my gosh, the Rattlers must have come over here and left this trash behind. Of course, the truth was it was their own trash. They just forgot to clean up, but they're creating all these false stories in their heads. And they get so bad that the researchers have to cancel the experiment because they think that it's going to come to blows. And of course, when we hear this story, you think, well, yeah, this is fifth grade boys. They're going to argue with each other. They're going to fight <laughs> with each other. But man, they had everything in common, and yet they found a way to hate one another. And so the, mm. the next kind of logical question is, you know, are adults really any smarter than fifth graders? Uh, no. This is why they made the TV show. No. The, yeah. Are yeah. smarter than fifth grader? Yeah. Wow, no, they're, they're not smarter. In fact, they're just uh, probably more creative in how they go about destroying the other group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yes. Fair. That's yeah, fair. I think yeah. that's how that works. Indeed. Indeed. So that uh, I wanted to bring that one up first because obviously, um, you know, uh, the much of the book kind of rests on that understanding. And we here, that was one of the first things that I did. I kind of told a story about uh, the Cowboys and then Redskins uh, on our first episode and how it led to a murder charge, a fandom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Super fandom <laughs> led to, I mean, it was accidental. It was in the middle of, a, of an altercation, but murder. And we're talking about football. And so, of course, you know, philosophically, um, there are so many different schools of thought. But in the political sphere, it amazes me that this is one of the ones they decided to graft in. And what it has produced has been something that, well, to me, is, is, is sickening. And so, you know, it's just uh, out of love and out of respect for all my fellow man, because we all have friends that none of us are are siloed into the same understanding of everything we all got a different somehow some way so yeah so that's why i was uh, really glad to have you guys on for the conversation because you know even as we read the book i'll just tell you straight up um there were things that we loved and there were some things we took a side eye to because of our own cultural experiences but at the end of the day people need this book like yeah. hands down so yeah so that being said i think that kind of frames up what we got and i think Devin wanted to start with uh a question or two first and let's just uh let's rabbit trail to our heart's delight it should be fun yeah <laughs> yeah first of all like when i read through this i i related to a lot of it especially the last about five six years of my own personal experience talking about how much it can put stress upon relationships whether it's family or friends or you know even in workplaces or whatnot where you have these ideological divides um what was interesting for me is i probably went from uh, the elephant side of things and being pretty well tribalized <laughs> in that sect to moving away from some of those mindsets. Uh, funny enough, as I started to read and understand the message of God and the message of Paul a lot more and realize that so much of it needs to be inward looking uh, on the church versus outward looking at the world, um, you know, and ourselves and how we need to prepare and, and fix ourselves for that. Um, so now I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a man with no tribe, at least not a large tribe. I'm not associated with, uh, you know, one party or the other. I'm an independent, at least from a political standpoint, voter. Um, and so I, I'm kind of in this weird no man zone, uh, which, you know, most of this book is talking about, hey, don't, don't cling on to one side. Uh, or the other. Um, so speak to that a little bit about the people who are just kind of like, I mean, the whole point is to not try to be tribal or identify with a tribe, which means you kind of disassociate with these greater quote unquote tribes. So where does that leave the people who are more independent? Well, I think you just kind of hit on a major empathic note, which is that it feels lonely. You know, you can feel like you're uh, swimming, you're, you're rowing your canoe upstream by yourself, and there's no one else who's with me. And I think that that's actually uh, not entirely true. There's been a lot of research that has shown there's a more common study that shows that the extremes in our country are actually a very small proportion. It's about right. 6% on the right and 8% on the far left. And the vast majority of us aren't highly tribalized. We're, we're, we're still pretty open to persuasion. We can change our mind. That's kind of the exhausted middle. But because our voices aren't the loudest, we think that other people like us don't exist. And it's fascinating. We're recording this right after uh, the election in November. And I think I think if you look at the election results, this really got borne out. 
Um, the the kind of crazies, I would say, on the right, who were often, to be frank, Donald Trump's cho- chosen children, yeah. um, they almost across the board did not get elected. Right. America wants sobriety, it turns out. And, and the same could be said for, for people who are on the far left, by the way. They almost exclusively, they were kind of in the extreme progressive ideology, weren't elected. And, and I find that to be encouraging just as an American citizen myself that, hey, maybe there's a lot more people like me out there. Um, but my bigger concern is this. I think that we're hardwired to be tribal. And I think there's really good things that come from that hardwiring. I mean, tribalism is what gives us our sense of belonging. You know, uh, lone cheetahs don't go off and build cities. They don't create, you know, artistic masterworks. They don't establish countries and they, they can't do that. Uh, but also cheetahs don't create concentration camps. Okay. So, so there's <laughs> right, a dark right. side to tribalism as well. Ooh. And so I think the question that we face isn't so much, am I going to be tribal? It's the question, which tribe will I choose? And, and what we try to argue in the book is you need to choose the tribe of Jesus for one very simple reason, other than it's true and Jesus is king and he's the best. So why wouldn't you be <laughs> Jesus? Yeah. Far better than that, it's this. Jesus's tribe turns all the normal bad sides of tribalism upside down. Other tribes are about exclusion. You have to share my race. You have to share my socioeconomic level. You have to share my gender. You have to share my ideology to be a part of my tribe. But there is no person Jesus has met who he said, you know what? You're not invited. Yeah, you don't People fit. like yeah. you, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. you don't get to be a part of it. He flips it upside down. And the other part is that normal tribes, they go against other people. They want to win. Make my tribe great again. That's their message. And Jesus has this wild idea. He says, love your enemies. He says, put the interest of the other tribe first. And so he takes the dark side of tribalism, flips it upside down, and creates a new tribe, a new community that's welcome to everyone that's called to love their neighbors no matter what tribe they're in. And so I tell people, look, you don't get to choose whether or not you're tribal. The only thing you get to choose is which tribe you're in, and can you tell me about a better tribe than Jesus's? Yeah, that's exactly kind of the the message I've been trying to cling to for myself and and how I live my life. And so that's one of the areas where I, I was fully on board. One of the areas where I started to uh, raise an eyebrow, as Jordan alluded to earlier, was because we know that just statistically, anywhere from 80 to 85% of evangelical Christians align with one tribe versus the other, and, and we just know that from, you know, it's, it's factual the way their voting records are, the way they, you know, al- align with ideologies and whatnot, that some of the, uh, the, the anecdotal comparisons felt a little bit uneven to me. So we have the one, you mentioned the one right-wing person who is talking about basically some QAnon beliefs about the cabals and about eating children and all of this stuff that's all just founded in just utter nonsense and lies that, so much fun. you know, that, that the fifth grade Eagles or Rattlers started to believe, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then the other side to kind of counter that point was the, the more liberal woman who said, you know, anyone who supports Donald Trump is supporting racism. And while that at the same time is, is very slippery slope, I don't think that that's just a hundred percent true, but the, the two positions felt like one was kind of rooted in just total nonsense and fear about how things were going to affect themselves. And the other one was rooted in uh, a, a lot of stuff that people do agree with when it comes to r- racial inequality and justice and things like that in our nation. And it was a concern about them, them, that like I'm concerned about my brothers and sisters who are black. Those two things are completely different to me on the spectrum of how one tribe is kind of approaching things versus how the other. So I wanted to unpack that part a little bit. Um, Cause if we're, if we're doing the Paul thing where we're kind of looking inward, there's one group that needs to be looked at a little bit more than the other. <laughs> I, I, I think that's totally true. And I, I'm not a fan of false equivalencies. There's, there's asymmetric good and evil on both sides. And, you know, one of the challenges of writing a book like this is, is we don't lay out, here's the Christian position on all these different policies and here's where we should go. You know, we're right. pulling out examples. And it's interesting because I think part of this is contextual. You know, we are in a, a, a blue dot in a red state. That's where our church is located because we're, we're where the flagship university of our state is. Yep. And so that means that our context is, is, 
is actually probably a little less right-leaning than maybe the average evangelical church. And so the beauty of that is, at least at my church, I'm having people who are bought into maybe the far progressive left. I'm having those conversations as well as the the Trumpist. I mean, I, I, I had a conversation with a woman who told me she was losing her faith because Donald Trump's election got stolen, right? Like, I have both of those kinds <laughs> right, of conversations, right? Right. My and so, God, and so one today. of the things you'll notice, <laughs> one of the things you'll notice in the book is, you know, in that chapter on truth, um, the things that we kind of zone in on on the left, I, I would say are less about race. You know, we talk about um, critical theory, but you'll notice what we don't talk about. We don't talk about critical race theory. And there's a reason for that. Right. Um, and I could get into that in just a second. What we talk about is specifically fat studies and the notion of, of relativism. Right. And so I, I'm picking some specific things intentionally because I, I think you're totally right. If you're talking about white evangelicalism, the the problem that has to get confronted 88% of the time yeah. <laughs> is going to be uh, what, what, what you just described. And, and I hope we did a good job of confronting that. Um, in our church context, 88% of our church did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, we, mm. we are a much more split context. And so and so part of that, I think, is contextual. And I want to really agree with you. When it comes to the things that the Apostle Paul was concerned about, uh, I was talking to Preston Sprinkle, who has a, theo- a podcast uh, called yes. Theology in the Raw. That's our guy. We love him. And, oh, I love Preston. He's awesome. <laughs> and, and, he's, and he had this comment. He, he, he's like, I don't know if this is totally true, but I did some research. He goes, I, I would estimate that about a third of Paul's letters are about race and ethnicity and about uh, oh, ethnic 100%. unity. Yeah. And, ethnic, and, and I was like, amen. Right. And that stuff drives me nuts because I have people who get on me. They're like, why do you talk about race so much? And I say, <laughs> why did Paul talk about race so much? Right. That's why. They're like, what do you mean? gospel reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Replace Gentile with minority. There you uh, go. Well, that's I pretty mean, much. It, I mean, it could be. You know, the funny thing is Gentile might be more white folk than most, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, uh, but to your point, though, that, that's point. yeah, that's one of my favorite things uh, about that part of it specifically, because, you know, uh, looking at your book and then there's a couple other books that I was kind of reading at uh, the same time, um, Subversive Witness from Dominic Gilliard and then also uh, uh, the latest book from Derwin, Derwin Gray. And, you know, I just talked with Derwin. He was at our church. Two days ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I think he did a stupid dance uh, or something like that. I, love I, it. I, I filmed. Just... I was the guy behind the camera. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, yes, I, that I'm, was I'm all, I'm all about it. But, but you know, that that's my favorite thing is when people just tell you, because we, we get that all the time, um, you know, preach the gospel, just preach the gospel and everything, but taking care of it. It's like, well, that's cool. But here's the deal. When I look at the gospel, I see more stuff about ethnicity. We'll go there. Uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. just race, then I do anything. Jesus right. told so many parables and you always got to look for that one word, you know, uh, the one he, he put in front of it too, despised Samaritan. Like the minute <laughs> that he does that, I know that he's pressing everybody's buttons in that Israelite camp because they hate him. And so the fact that he's saying yeah. this despised Samaritan did this really great thing or they were the thankful one of the 10 lepers uh, or, you know, just like all these other pieces, man, it, it, it begins to draw out this understanding uh, in the text that whether you like it or not, this is literally a biblically age old conversation. And unless you do something about it, it's going to be here to stay in the context in which it presents itself, which is very uncomfortable to you. So yeah, now there's a big attaboy to that for you guys, because I know that that is a part of, of the conversation that most folks still want to just kind of wish away. Um, but no, our Bible shows I, I don't, I don't do want it. to wish that away. It, and, and I think too, you know, one of the challenges of writing a book is uh, you can't expect anyone who reads your book to know everything that you've done. Uh, you know, and so if you, if you hop onto our podcast, you know, we have interviews with Philip M. Holmes and we're talking about Malcolm X and what he has to say about our context. And I think X really got some things that we need to hear today. Yeah. We talked with Isaac Adams, book talking about race. And so like, I, I'm 100% with you. And, you know, there's, there's eight other chapters I wish we could have written and, and, and added in. Uh, but I, I wouldn't draw a false equivalency. Now, to the person who says that everybody who voted for Donald Trump is a racist, I, I that, 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 <laughs> that for me that also is, does not is read too true. far, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know what else is yeah. too far? The white guy who sat across the table from me and said that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are in a conspiracy to ruin his life. And I'm like, dude, you live <laughs> right. in a bigger house than me. You run a right. successful business. Like, re- like, if they are trying to do it, they're not very good at it. Right, right. right. It's, exactly. it's the don't tread on me license plate. We have don't tread on me license plates in Virginia. So it's got the little snake in the middle. And I laugh every time it's on like a $90,000 Escalade. I'm like, who's treading on you exactly? <laughs> and they're in the Starbucks yeah. parking lot, you know, headed to Pilates. It's like, who's treading? Treading on you. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's part of the context of the New Testament. It's, it's part of what drives me nuts in this conversation is we read the New Testament as though it was written to us 
And it wasn't. It right. was written for us. We yeah. were something for right. us to gain from it. But right. this was written to people who were, as a result of their allegiance to Jesus over Caesar, experiencing tremendous persecution and pressure. It, it cost them money, right? Because if you don't want to participate in the guilds that that were, you know, essentially in control of production inside of the Roman Empire, because those guilds were compromised by idolatry, they were compromised by militarism, they were compromised by all by slave trade, all kinds of things. If you refuse to do that, you had to know I'm probably going to make less money, a lot less money. I, I may end up being in poverty like the majority of people in the Roman Empire, by the way. I may have to live in a subsistence basis. And, and, and again and again, the call to them was not to get out your swords, to get out your axes and, and go to work on the Romans. It was, uh, it was this mm-hmm. subversive submission. Lay down your life for them. Show kindness and charity in return for vitriol. And again, this is how the whole tribalism of Jesus, his tribe is so radically different is because it, it the way we subvert is through kindness and love and yeah. generosity. Yeah. And when I look at American history, you know, again, it's like, where, where do we find people who understood this? That comes out of the black church. The, the white church has really failed to understand what it looks like to have subversive submission because they expect power. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's exiles don't expect power. You're I don't preaching expect power. Now. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. The doors of the church are open on today. Yes. Every once in a while he has to get in his uh pastoral just, amens and that boys. Kind of a black preacher, so. you know. Just uh, no, I mean, but what you're saying is actually right. Like I just I love that. And you know, even to that extent, let me go ahead and add the beautiful white people in there too. You know, this is uh this is king and beloved community and um, you know, I was listening to something where somebody was talking about the sit-ins uh, recently and how they drew out the understanding that uh, they were doing this in direct contrast to January 6th. Uh, we were talking about how uh, somebody feels wrong. You get to the, uh, I think it was Scott Jatani on like the latest episode of the Holy Post. And, you yeah. know, basically kind of laying out this full on understanding of um, when is it just for us to pick up arms and in, in, in defense of the faith? Well, you know. Uh, there are many good arguments for why not to, uh, but he was saying, you know, to the most extreme rule in just war, you know, everybody has taken a Christian ethics class, hopefully. No, that's just me. Okay, cool. But um, still, you know, the the layout was, well, it's, it's interesting that you say that when these individuals specifically, when they did the sit-ins, um, you know, at the, at the countertops and restaurants or even um, the Freedom Riders, these folks knew what they were doing was going to be in direct contrast to society major. And they also knew, you know, especially Freedom Riders, you know, they had living wills written out, black folks and white folks, young folks, knowing that if they went down there, there's a chance that they're not coming back. And that's how they decided to fight as opposed to literally taking up arms and going into a Capitol building and doing stuff like that. I mean, it's objective, but at the same time, it is damning. Let's be honest. And so, you know, it's just one of those pieces for me where, um, what is the drive? And that was actually why I'm segueing us because I'm really, really good at that sometimes uh, into the chapter earlier on in the book about how tribalism makes you anxious. And I'm doing that for a reason, too. But I do want you to kind of unpack it. One of my favorite lines in here, I'm looking for it. I think I found. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's on page 38 where you're talking about the, the irony of it. It says, ironically, the more you fear the other talking about the other, uh, the more wolfish you become. And if you think a wolf has you cornered uh not only will you experience an unpleasant sense of helplessness you will justify snapping and biting to escape yeah so i mean it's pretty cut and dry but yeah i I did want you to unpack that because i think that speaks a lot to the understanding of what we were just uh having a conversation on right there yeah your thoughts No, I, I, I think that right now, if you look at the American body politic, it is suffused and energized by anxiety. Mm. And again, this isn't a left right thing. This is across the board. Everybody feels well. So I, this is actually a really interesting thing. So you talk about culture warring and, and what is a culture war? And to me, a culture war is 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 really a battle over the meaning of things. Right. So you go back to the 1800s. There's a culture war over the slave trade. Mm. And to some people, they they wanted the slave trade, the meaning of it to be um, this is a universal human practice. There's nothing wrong here. This is economically beneficial. Right. That's the meaning making <laughs> they want to make out of the yeah. thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then and then, of course, Jesus. you had others uh, like. 
Frederick Douglass and William Wilberforce, it, it, who, who looked at it and said, uh, no, this is a blasphemy against the image of God. Those are two very different meanings that you're making out of the thing. And that's what culture wars are all about. It's who, which meaning's the real meaning and who gets to decide the meaning and, and where does that meaning kind of live and exist? And that's why we have so much anxiety is because uh, in, in, in this current cultural moment, especially as we're transitioning kind of to a post-Christian culture, there's all of these debates over who gets to define meaning. And again, because the white evangelical church has been so used to having a tremendous amount of power and the ability to define and make meaning out of what's happening. As they feel that slipping out of their hands, it creates fear. It creates anxiety. But it's fear and anxiety over the very things that Jesus rejected when Satan offered them to him. You want the kingdoms of the world, Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Nope. Mm, yep. Not interested, right? It, 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 and so it doesn't, again, I, I could do this on the right. I can do this on the left. You, you see it's all these different places, but the way of Jesus is, is not anxious. I mean, you're just talking about Martin Luther King and I love his, he, he, he made everybody who was demonstrating with him sign, or I, I think kind of go onto this uh, pledge and his pledge is, is to me a pledge of non-anxiousness. I mean, he doesn't use that word. It's yeah, a new that's word. That's but like, I, was like, I got to read part of it. So the first thing was, the first rule, uh, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The second rule, remember always that the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Mm. I mean, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, not like seeking that victory. That's table. like anti-American. What are you guy. talking about? <laughs> I don't even have to do that. He said, so, number wow. three, walk and talk in the manner of love for God is love. Prayed for, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Five, get the sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Mm -hmm. Six, observe both friend and foe. The uh, sorry, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Um, and he keeps going on, but like, can you imagine? Let's just on, on either side of the political aisle, can you imagine either side signing on for that manifesto? Right. No. Right. No, because all. it's Jesus no. stuff. Hey, 2A1G fam, this is Jordan. And I wanted to invite you to engage with us. And you can do so so far by one of two ways. The first is by good old fashioned email. The number two Americas, the number one God podcast at gmail.com. The other is our 2A1G conversation space you can find on FB. Engage, ask real questions. Heck, bleed if you are frustrated. It's all good. We can take it. We just want to support you. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, rate, review, all those other crazy things. Uh, but just help get the word out. Hey, thank you 2A1G family for your support and for continuing to make sure the truth reclaims the fringes. This podcast is sponsored by Real Relationship Talk, delivering inspirational and real relationship advice for your most intimate relationships. Got problems? Let's solve them, because real trials need real truths. From strong to struggling marriages, it's time to get in the game with marriage coach and podcast host Dana Shea. Listen to the Real Relationship Talk podcast at realrelationshiptalk.com or everywhere podcasts are played. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And, yeah. you know, that's that's the I just wanted to close it off with this piece, too, because you you encapsulated that perfectly as well uh, with the second with the paragraph right after that, because uh, it says, you know, suddenly Jesus commands to love your neighbor, uh, live with meekness, walk in humility, bless your enemy and turn the other cheek. sound hopelessly naive. And you justify disobeying him because you think your personal context is so extraordinarily dangerous that ordinary Christian ethics no longer apply, man. Listen, because you were just saying it, like you know, I've I've talked about it on this podcast a couple of times. How even the black church, um, how there are pastors who just refuse to work in concert with white pastors that have been willing, um, you know, and actually want to learn and actually want to understand, just because they've been burnt on so many things, they just don't trust them anymore. And and as understandable as that is, it still forsakes the nature of Jesus and then therefore forsakes the nature of how we are supposed to operate in this community. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's crazy, man. I just, um, I don't think I can express enough exactly how necessary that is in today's climate. Like we're really trying to tip this, this, this big, huge boulder over this hill and it's gonna take everybody pushing. 
And so, and not just somebody pushing now and then taking a break and somebody else pushing because it will roll back down. And so, yeah, I don't know. Not not necessarily a question in that, but really just a, a keen understanding that that I think probably is one of the most crucial pieces in this whole dialogue right now um, as we continue to try to move forward. So the next part of the book starts talking about uh, basically in, in conversation and in inauthenticity among tribalist people. And uh, this was... A very fascinating part of the book to me because it was it kind of set up some things that I hadn't really thought about too much before because so often when we're thinking about somebody's beliefs or somebody's positions we're just trying to think oh do they match mine okay then they're good do they do they conflict with mine okay then they're bad and in reality what you're trying to say is like hey the only way we can have these real conversations and I mean, I'm argumentative by nature and I think these conversations have to be had uh, and so I think they it's it's crucial that we have them, but we also need to have them in a way that we are truly getting an authentic position from somebody. And you mentioned something about J.K. Rowling and the way that she kind of came out against, uh, you know, alternate lifestyles and and, uh, queer transgender people and some different things like that and kind of the backlash that was suffered there. And you mentioned, you know, uh, I think you said here, set aside whether you agree with her doesn't authenticity demand honesty on her part? So she's trying to be honest. I think the only thing that jumped out to me, and then there's a <laughs> more current uh, example of this with uh, one rapper who no longer sells shoes with Adidas. Um, but uh, <laughs> what was interesting to me, and, and JK's isn't probably quite as overt as this, but there becomes this point, a turning point, let's say. Oh yeah, they're also a little disingenuous at times. Uh, where people are authentic, but not in good faith. They're doing it simply to either troll, get a rise out or, or simply gain points with their own tribe. And we're seeing this with, you know, Kanye at the moment where it's like, I mean, he was a born again Christian three years ago. You know, he was making albums for Christ. And now all of a sudden he's, you know, quoting Hitler and pushing, you know, anti-Semitic and, and Holocaust denying documentaries. It's like, what, is that authentic or is it just bad faith? Like, where does that work and how do we balance that? How do we find that, you know, that intersection point where people can feel vulnerable enough to share what they believe without being canceled, but also not just try to rise people? <laughs> Man, it's a fantastic question. And obviously, if someone is speaking, if someone is saying incendiary things with ulterior motives, uh, and this happens all the time on social media. People say crazy stuff because they know it's going to get them a following. It's going to rile up people and people will click that follow button. People will buy their book. They'll Whatever it is that they want at the end of the day, that, that's not authentic. That, that, that's, that, that's just, that's just fear mongering. It's just, it's just, it's just using kind of the outrage algorithm to your own benefit. Um, but here would be my case in favor of saying, yeah, um, if you let people be intellectually authentic, they're going to say some awful things, mm-hmm. like terrible things. And I want to be really careful because I'm a huge advocate of free speech. But I, I, here's where I'm careful. Uh, free speech is not a moral good. As it turns out, I am not free to say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I serve King Jesus. He put some limits on my speech. However, I think free speech is an instrumental good that in a society, um, free speech allows several things to happen. First of all, it it allows us to find truth because the only way that you can tell something, the only way you can find truth is by disconfirmation, which means you have to at times be able to say that what everybody believes, the opposite is actually reality. Um, The other thing that it uh, allows you, I I think, to be able to do in a society um, is is emphasize persuasion over coercion. Mm, um, when you don't have the ability yeah. to speak, the, the best way to change people's mind is to put a gun in their face or to threaten that they'll lose their job. Or, you know, that's maybe more the cancel culture thing, right? Right. I, 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 I am, a, you know, Paul says, let each person be persuaded in their own heart. Jesus taught, I think, the way of persuasion, not coercion. So that's why I like free speech, not because it's a moral good, but because I think it's if I have to pick, I want to live in that environment. Now, to your point, like what about Kanye? Who's let's say he is being authentic. You know, I'm part Jewish. Let's say he hates me because I'm part Jewish. Um, that might be a true statement. This is going to sound a little weird. But I would rather know that Kanye hates me because I'm Jewish than him pretend like he doesn't hate me no. because it, it is it, because that that's not socially acceptable. Right. I would rather know that my uncle's going down the QAnon rabbit trail 
than not know that he's going down the QAnon rabbit trail, right? Right, Because that's the only way that we're going to be able to engage and talk about ideas. Um, it's the only way that we're going to be able to correct and, and have persuasive conversations if, is if people can say these things. Now, does that mean people are going to say um, some awful things? You know, free speech does have limits. I mean, just speaking legally, you, you, you're you not you're not free to threaten people. You're not free to say libelous things. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's there's limits. And, and, and of course, I think we should try to seek those limits in the public square. We, we need to be clear about what those particular limits are. Right. Um, but but having an ideology that I find offensive and, and maybe even toxic for society um. I, I I will defend your right to say those things. You know why? Because I think you're wrong. And I think that if you and I can talk about it, it will be obvious, maybe not to you, but to everybody else, mm-hmm. how wrong you obviously are. Yeah, no, that's actually perfect um, for a variety of reasons. I usually come from the uh, the from a different angle in that because you're right. Uh, it, it's as, as much as everybody is uh, hopping on on our new Twitter owner. Uh, for doing what he did, and, and and also just because the way that he's doing it is absolutely atrocious. Just 100% <laughs> well, he's there. for free speech as long as they match his rules exactly, within it yeah, too. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> or eight dollars. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember your your verification now, like your blue check, means that you're worth eight dollars now. Yes, it doesn't mean it that does. you're actually good in no. your atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no. In all in all seriousness, um, I think that that is necessary. I'm I'm even gonna make a statement that people will love to hate to hear right now uh, about Trump and just the fact that in 2016, everything he did up to 2020, um, you know, he didn't bring about a new culture or a new understanding of how things work. He just expedited the process of something that had been around for a very, very long time. Right. Um, and, you know, we have history that explains that. Kristen Kobes Dume did an excellent job bringing that out in her book. But one of the bigger pieces right now is what you're saying. Like we need that out there because we need certain things on the table for understanding. Uh, and it's not about the, the niceties of things, you know, uh, because if we're a Christian, we understand no matter what side you're on, you better operate in kindness. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fruit of the spirit is, is the evidence of, of what you believe uh, as far as how you believe and why what you believe uh, is, is what it needs to be in the eyes of Christ. Uh, and then, of course, the waters get murky there, too, because when you read scripture, you realize certain things don't add up on both sides. And I think we're both on the same page with that. But ultimately, I think that the reason why that is so important, you you brought up my favorite section of the book pertaining uh, the book, the text pertaining to this Romans chapter 14. Uh, Let each person in his own mind be convinced. Man, listen, the why behind your what is really the determinative for everybody. You have to have an ethic for each and everything in your life. Failure to have an ethic to be able to explain why you believe what you believe is probably very condemning for you. And I'm not saying that in a, like a you're going to hell sense. It's a in 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 the in the in the context of the culture that we're in right now. The way that so many people just go hard <laughs> for whatever they're going hard for, at least the the six percent in one area, the eight percent in the other, and everybody in between, just the suffering silent uh majority. Um I I, it just, it, it, it pains me to, to see and to say that the reason why we are this way is because so many people, if we're being honest, don't read their Bible, don't study scripture enough to be able to stand on what they believe. I think if we did, I think if just 10% more people did that in our society today, we might be having a completely different conversation right now. Um, and I think it just doc, you know, uh, <laughs> I can get in trouble with saying this, but I think that that is probably, uh, the reason why, uh, we are experiencing what we're experiencing as far as the diminished faith. And I think it contributes to the revival that's coming, but right now the diminished faith, the people who refuse to believe the defectors, the detractors, the, the ones who deconstruct and then never come back. Um, that, I think that's a big part of the reason why. Man, I, 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 I and, and what you just said keys in on a huge thing right now. You know, the word revelation means unveiling. It's showing what's been happening behind the scenes. I agree. I think that the Trump phenomenon is unveiling a lot of people. It's unveiling a lot of 
uh, covert racism that was sitting right behind the surface. So that's where like, I have some sympathy. Was like everybody voted for Trump's racist. I go, well, no, I don't think that's true. Um, however, there were some people who voted for Trump who were racist. Um, yeah. it, 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 by the way, I can tell this story really clearly. Let's talk about Jerry Falwell. This is a guy who, when he's preaching in the 1950s, was adamantly against Martin Luther King because he said he was a political activist. Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. He also, while well, he's saying you shouldn't be involved in politics, <laughs> was very loudly against the, the Brown versus Board of Education case. He wanted segregation in churches. Ooh. He wanted uh, segregation enshrined in law. Now, obviously, time goes on, and uh, there's a Civil Rights Act of 1964, and he's one of the first people to establish a Christian segregation academy. This was Liberty High School, which eventually yep. became Liberty University. Mm -hmm. and, and so he's, he's doing all this. And so he's got a high school that's clearly, hey, you don't want your white kids to go to school with black kids? Send them to my high school. He creates a university that does the exact same thing. And then by the end of the 60s, racism became taboo. You, you shouldn't be a racist anymore. And he kind of does this weird like about face, like, oh, you know, I, I, I was wrong about that. Perhaps I changed my mind, but becomes heavily politically active. And this really gets uh, captured by the spirit of Liberty University, the university that he started. And, you know, he passes away. But here's what's fascinating. Now, the professors at Liberty University are very loudly dabbling with Christian nationalism mm. and the books that they are engaging with, people like Stephen Wolf, William Wolf, and others. Oh, These books are explicitly racist. They, I mean, Stephen Wolf has said that he does not want interethnic marriage. He says the, the idea of interethnic marriage isn't necessarily immoral. It would just be wrong for no, two people yeah. to get together. I don't even, I don't even know <laughs> how that makes I saw sense. That. Right? No. I saw that. Yeah. Oh, it's, love it. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. And so my point is, and so now we're in 2020, the veil's being pulled back, and that racism that I don't think ever really left Liberty University and the, and its kind of environs, now, now all of a sudden, because of the Trump phenomenon, the people are kind of peeking out like, hey, is it okay for me to be a little bit racist now? <laughs> right. And you know what? I'm grateful for that. Right. I'm really yeah. grateful for that no, dude. because I want them to come out. I want them to say what they believe so that they can be roundly condemned by the scripture. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, I'll, we'll say convicted. I wouldn't say <laughs> condemned uh, because there's hope for everybody, right? There, There is a hope. There is. And I know you got something to say real quick, but yeah. I just, uh, I, I think that what you're saying is, is actually exactly what I was thinking. So I'm glad that you, uh, you definitely capstone that uh, just because I, I do feel I'm, I'm in an environment now where, places like Liberty are actually kind of lauded. Uh, and I'm real curious <laughs> yeah. uh, to to see why they believe what they believe. But I think this is the point, because to be fair, not every kid goes there expecting that or is looking for that. And this is very, very true. But if they did understand the history of it, and I think that's why this is so important. I think that's why dealing with the elephant in the ass as opposed to allegiance to the lamb is the because it shouldn't even be a conversation in the first place. Like we've had that conversation. Rose shouldn't have been a conversation in the first place. Yeah. Should there be some ethics behind that? Of course. Absolutely. But there, you should also understand the history behind it, which is highly racist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like all of them ended up on the table because, well, racism and you know it's just when you begin to understand that then not to say this in a negative way but it detracts from the understanding of theology and the faith and then that's why when people tell that's the other reason why if somebody tells me i just need to preach the gospel i just want to tell them well this had nothing to do with gospel in the first place but you know just so i'm, I'm, I'm done my bad. Go ahead. <laughs> so the this is where i'm finding tension in some relationships at the moment, especially uh, coming off the recent election, because there is this sense that, look, there wasn't this Trump red wave and uh, maybe, you know, it wasn't a tsunami. It was a trickle, right? It was a trickle. And, and, <laughs> and so see, look, Trump doesn't, doesn't quite have the same. So, and look, we're leaning more DeSantis. You mentioned DeSantis a oh, couple of times in your book. So that you're, you're pretty, and, and to me, DeSantis is actually a little bit scarier because DeSantis doesn't say these things out loud and he's much more savvy and he's much more, let me, let me work the system and work in the shadows. And I'm, I'm trying to have these conversations with conservatives who are like, look, Trump, Trump is not our guy. Like we don't, we don't even talk about him. We don't even like him, whatever. And I'm like, that, that's all fine. And I get that. But when they're saying, you know, Trump hijacked the conservative movement or the GOP, I don't, I disagree. No, Trump highlighted what you guys are doing. Um, he didn't extort you. He exposed you. And ra the race thing is kind of an entry point, And it was really effective during Black Lives Matter, after George Floyd, after Ahmaud Arbery. It was an easy entry point, And everyone's like, look, racism's terrible. We need to root this out. But it's not just that. There's all these other ideologies and these like, little quiet things that go on and these little winks and nods that people are just not very aware of. Like 
like we said about the students going to Liberty, they're not going there to look for it, but they're sure going to get it. And they might not even realize it when they are getting it. <laughs> and so you said something in the book. That's one of my favorite things to say when I meet with somebody who we have disagreements on certain things and it's, you know, when's the last time you changed your mind about something? And so I try to lead conversations that way because I've changed my mind about so many things over the last several years. And I wanted you to just kind of walk us through how you have these conversations of persuasion versus conversations of uh, argument or, or an attempt to win uh, an argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'll hop back to the DeSantis thing for one quick second. I, 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 I don't know if we talk about him in, in the book. I don't I don't remember talking about him. And I think um, I, I bring him up for one reason. There's a great book called The Right by Matthew Contaletti, and he explores how we think of the right as a homogenous unit, but really it's this weird mixture of anti-communism, uh, populism, nationalism, and also like uh, traditional conservatism. And, and so they're really hard to parse out, like, which which kind of right are you? And I do think that DeSantis has a lot in common with the populist right. And of course, Trump was kind of the embodiment yeah. of that. But in terms of like having conversations with uh, people uh, about topics that you disagree with. I have a number of tacks that I take. One of the first questions I ask someone when, when we're in the midst of an argument is, is I say, hey, um, on a scale of one to 10, how certain are you about your perspective on this? And if they give me a nine or a 10, I, I, I typically leave the conversation dead right there hmm. because that okay. tells me that you are not open to this confirmation. <laughs> it's not you worth are it. so certain. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing I'm going to be able to say. Have and a, a similar day, question sir. I'll yeah. ask is I'll say, what form of evidence could I give you to change your mind on this issue? And if they give me a form of evidence that it is so outlandishly impossible to offer, then again, I realize, okay, I'm I'm talking to someone who's already deep inside of some sort of, you know, tribalized, polarized identity. And with those kinds of people, my tack with them is very different. The only way that the, I'm ever going to gain a hearing with them is by doing life with them. They have to see yeah. my love, yeah. my generosity, my presence, my charity, all of that. And eventually I found over time that tears down walls and we're able to have an honest conversation. But again, most people don't quite fall into those circumstances. So if you're talking to someone who's more on like, the, I'm a six to seven on this scale of certainty. And here's some reasonable evidence you could give me. Well, when I'm in those kinds of conversations, my general tack again is to try to ask a lot of questions because it's really easy to assume that when you're talking to someone who's a seven or eight, that they're actually a nine and 10 and that they hold beliefs they don't actually hold because you know some extreme people who hold those beliefs. Mm. And so for me, there's this real key of just like asking questions. And the beauty of asking questions, if they're an honest person, is that eventually they'll be able to admit their their own uncertainty like mm -hmm. I, I don't have this information i always That's tell good. people you got to know what you know you got to know what you think you know and you have to know what you don't know right. we're really good at knowing what we don't know like if you know nothing about something you're probably going to say yeah i know nothing about that we're not so good at knowing what we think we know right? Yeah. We, we're not so good at knowing when we're at an amateurish level. And so by asking questions, it often unveils the amateurishness, right? Where it's like, well, I read this on this thing, or I don't really know these issues. And then you can come together and say, well, gosh, I'm also an amateur on this particular topic, maybe. <laughs> so let's, what, what's the evidence? Like, what, what could we look at that would help us move forward in this? You know, and they might say, well, I want to find some Bible verses, you know, for having a conversation. About, I, want to, I, want, I want to read some Bible verses about justice and oppression, because you talk a lot about that. Where'd you get that from, you know? Right. Uh, or I want to talk about like, whatever the topic is, we can now have a productive conversation that's constructive because we're working together on a team. We aren't just arguing over a opinion. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's, that's really that's good. excellent. I know, uh, unfortunately, studies show that, like, the less we know about something, the more we think we know about something. So that's a, <laughs> it's a yeah, tough exactly. juxtaposition there. Um, but I really like that. And so one, one follow-up question to what you said, uh, is it ever okay to be a nine or a 10 mm. <laughs> on, on anything? I, like, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I won't put this down as like scriptural law, gospel truth. Uh, and so I'll admit maybe my answer is a bit temperamental. I, I can say beyond a shadow of doubt, I'm a 10 on nothing. Zero. Okay. Now there are some things I'm a nine on, right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm probably an eight or a nine on the resurrection. Now I, I want to qualify that. That's 
because both as a pastor and, and a learner, I've done a lot of reading on the resurrection and the evidence for me is so substantive that I, I mean, someone could ask me like what evidence you need. And I would give them a pretty ridiculous answer because I've considered most of the evidence that's out there. So I'd end up saying something like, well, I would need to see like the remains of Jesus. Well, they're never going to be able to give that to me, <laughs> right? right? Um, but, but I, what I'm trying to say here is my level of certainty on that is commensurate with the amount of learning that I've done about that particular topic. Right. Right. Now, if if you want to ask me how certain I am about the virgin birth, you know, I, I might even go a slightly lower. Like I'm going to say, yeah, I, I trust scripture. And so it's rooted in a sense of here's what the Bible says. And, and I have a real confidence in the Bible, you know, but so, so do I think anybody should be a 10? I would say no. And I would say that if you're a 10, you are probably a relativist. And here's the reason why it's because you have denied the fact that there's an objective world outside of you that can correct you. The most important Mm. thing to you is your subjective perception of reality. I believe there's a world outside of me and that it has the ability to correct my perception, my understandings about reality. And so I, there's just no, there's nothing in my life. I'm not even sure that I was born on the day I was born. Like my parents could have literally (laughs) had a conspiracy with the doctor to change my birth date or, you know, like that, that that, you kind of get what I'm saying. So so you know, that's my answer. I'm not saying that's uh, necessarily the right answer. It's just where I would probably no, that's, land. That's uh, super helpful. Yeah, I think and, it's a uh, really good answer. And yeah. I mean, this conversation has been great. I feel like we could go for like, you know, 14 podcasts and just do one chapter at a time. I was about to say but, that really yeah. probably needs to happen. We'll be yeah, in touch. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, uh, we have to ask our, uh, well, I wanted to ask one of two questions. So I guess we'll have to ask. I have, I have two minutes at the very most. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying though. So I'm going <laughs> to ask the one then because if okay. not, the other one will rabbit trail. So uh, to, to, to cap all of this and everybody do, there's just too much information, get the book. But uh, to cap all of this in the middle of what we would all deem two Americas, one, one God, or, you know, the, the tribes that you would provide truth over. Uh, if you're telling us anything in our current climate, what is it that you're telling us? Hmm. I mean, I think in our current climate, what I would want to say is that Christians have no, no Christian I know is going to say, yeah, I definitely put the donkey or the lamb before uh, Jesus. No Christian's going to say that. But on a practical, abstract level, do you think that the lamb is maybe riding on the elephant? <laughs> <That's good. laughs> you know, do yeah. you think that the lamb is yeah. kind of. Yeah. You know, side saddled with yeah. the donkey, yeah. wow. T- tied to the the donkey you trailing. Yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like they're on the oxen yoke. And if yeah. that's moving. if that's yeah. how you think, um, you have a Jesus that's way too small. This guy sits on the throne of heaven. Ooh. He doesn't need a job in the Oval Office. That's a demotion. And 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 so if if, if that's what's happening, you Damn. have got to set aside the lamb and the elephant for a time in your. I'm sorry, the donkey and the elephant yeah. for a time in your life, and put the lamb first, and then maybe come back and reassess. <laughs> That's yeah. That is the yeah. I I don't think we could have ended anything any better than that. that. That's that's awesome. Not at all. Yeah, I think that's that's the best way to shut her down. Yeah, (laughs) praise the Lord. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you, man. So, real quick, where where can people find you? Where can we find the book? Where can we find the podcast? What's 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 good? Yeah, you can find the book and the podcast, same name, Truth Over Tribe. You can find the book at any major bookseller, the podcast on any major podcast provider. You can engage with us on Twitter. That's the corner of the internet that I tend to live in. We love to chat with people, but I hope people will check it out and get something practical. The book is conversational. It's full of illustrations. It's very practical. It's not for academics. It's for everyday Christians who want to live this out. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing place to get started if you're starting to wonder about yourself and, and where you stand. <laughs> yeah, And whether or not you're, you're lamb right rides on yes. top of an ass yes <laughs> absolutely that's good well brother thank you once again thank for you. coming out uh and ladies and gentlemen thank you guys once again as well please don't forget to like share subscribe and do all the things for the algorithm demigods uh and as always please remember to bring faith for the culture and always do what you can to make sure that the truth reclaims the fringes this has been the 2a1g podcast i'm jordan i'm Devin, and on behalf of patrick we appreciate your whole life we'll catch you next time peace 2A1G Podcast is birthed by the Inspired One Enterprises. Executive and co-producers, Jordan Brown and Devin Chandler. Editing and engineering, Lauren Price. Graphics and creative engagement, Alyssa Wise. Intro song for 2A1G done by Dave Hummel Music. Interlude and outro music, Colin Brown. 
voiceover experience for 2A1G done by none other than the original, the Reverend Dr. Clarence R. Brown Jr. Thanks, Pop. And thank you everybody else for listening again. Please find us on FB and IG at 2A1G Podcast. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this experience with your world. Thank you once again. And until next time, please do your part to ensure the truth continues to reclaim the fringes. Peace.